We turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, and verse 1. John, chapter 5, and verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. We will consider the healing of the crippled man. In our messages, we are analyzing the conversions in the Gospel of John very deliberately. We have considered two so far, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. We have concluded that the principle in John chapter 3, verse 3, is essential in the lives of those who are converted. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The efficacy of this principle, the new birth, in the lives of God's people reaches back to every person after Adam. It's not a New Testament thing. Jesus said to Nicodemus, are you a teacher and know not these things? I, we speak what we know, testify of what we have seen, and no man believe our witness. Don't ever think the new birth, conversion, is a New Testament fact, as some teach. Therefore, the new birth is an essential requirement for everyone and anyone seeing the kingdom of God, heaven. The phrase is not used with the Samaritan woman, but the effects of conversion were seen in her life. And they're the same today. After Christ revealed himself wonderfully to the woman of Samaria, she left her old way of life, symbolized by she leaving her water pot. She proclaimed Christ. She went into the city not to buy food, but to tell others. She bore testimony of God's grace. So today we come to John chapter 5 to look at number 3 in these conversions. John chapter 5 is what is known as the transitional chapter in the gospel narrative of John. It began a new phase in the ministry of Jesus where he faced opposition from the Jews. All was not well with Messiah and his coming. But the chapter shows the effects of conversion in this individual. And Jesus later, as he spoke, equates it with calling the dead to life later in John chapter 5. We cannot do an exhaustive study of this chapter. The Lord Jesus came into a superstitious crowd of infirm people who surrounded a pool of water. They were there for healing. The Savior took note of one man and made him whole. One. Well, this miracle is meant to teach the nature of salvation. God is sovereign. God singles out his elect. He calls them to himself. This is a wonderful doctrine. Something happened to the crippled man other than physical healing. And we know this for sure because Jesus met him in the temple. He had left the pool and he found himself in the temple, the Bible says, afterward, 
after he was made whole, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And the worst thing that could come to this man is eternal judgment in hell. Jesus did something for him, and he can do it for you today. This declaration by Jesus indicates that this man received more than physical soundness. As a matter of fact, Jesus elaborates on it further in the Gospel of John, and you, you should read the whole chapter. He received spiritual life, and this is what I will endeavor to show today. Now, in all three lessons so far that we have been studying in John's Gospel, we're seeing a pattern, aren't we? A pattern and a consistency of those that were converted in our day today. Sadly, salvation and conversion has become far removed from what is taught in the scriptures. Many congregations today have become a haven for unconverted people. And I hope that our congregation don't become a haven for lost sinners. Very little gospel is preached. No pursuit of holy living. No interest is given to evangelism and missions. This is not what we see in our study of John and the consistency of these ones that I'm showing you. Chapter 5 begins, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. After the conversion of the Samaritan woman, after the healing of the nobleman's son, Jesus went to a feast at Jerusalem. He observed the ceremonial law, our Savior. He was perfect in obedience. Whenever we read of the Jews in John's Gospel, it is an inference of the religious leaders in Judea. They're called the Jews. They hated the Lord Jesus. They did not believe his claims or authority as their Messiah. They were troubled by his apparent popularity. He was gaining popularity in the first three, four chapters of John. The Samaritans believed. Nicodemus believed. They're worried. John is the only gospel writer that uses this phrase so many times. The Jews about 70 times in John's gospel alone, it is used in a critical manner whenever you read about the Jews. But in John's gospel, the one thing that stands out in the individuals that we are analyzing is that man is basically secular and materialistic. That's how we are by nature, materialistic. All the individuals Jesus dealt with were only concerned about that which is materialistic, secular, no different today. Nicodemus was concerned about the Lord's miracles. The Lord set him straight, you must be born again. Man is basically materialistic. The woman of Samaria was going on with her normal life, hidden, covered up, untouched in immorality. The Savior entered the picture and disrupted her plans. You see, when the Lord comes in, he disrupts our plans. She left her water pot went into the city and invited others to come, come see a man. The Bible tells us that many of the Samaritans believe. 
Would to God that you and I, that the church, would understand why God has saved them. But the Jews were equally materialistic. The Lord said to them, you look good on the outside, but inside is full of dead men's bones. I can't say this to you. He says, full of dead men's bones and covetousness. He knew them. He knew the heart. He, knew he knows the core of our being, brethren. They were looking for a savior who would bring material prosperity and social liberty. That was the Jews. The Bible says it clearly in Psalm 10, verses 4 and 5. Man, through the pride of his continence, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. God's ways are always grievous. God's judgments are far above out of his sight. Psalm 10, verses 4 and 5. Brethren, it is only when the Savior reveals himself to man that they will begin to understand what is spiritually expedient. It's grace. That's what it is called. Grace. All men are basically materialistic. And you want to see this at the pool. The poor man was there for 38 years. Couldn't get in. And the multitude was pushing him out of the way to get there first. That's human nature. John is giving us a graphic picture of human nature. And I am no different, brethren. The same trend we see here at the pool of Bethesda. The man here that we are considering was part of the multitude. Gathered by the pool of water, seeking physical relief, help. No one was looking for the coming Savior. But the Savior, in his sovereignty, took note of one. We're reminded again of the key text that we looked at at the beginning of our study of analyzing the conversions in John 2, 24 and 25. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was a man. Now as we work our way, our way through this message today, we will do so by citing three observations. One, man's helpless condition. Second, the power of the spoken word. And three, the proofs of biblical conversion. And I trust that we would look at these things carefully in the light of our own lives. And I am not an exception. First, man's helpless condition, verses 1 through 5. Obviously, I would not be reading all of these verses. I would just highlight some of them. Verse 1 and 2 says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches or five colonnades. Now two interesting places are mentioned in verse 2. First we see Jesus going from north to south. From Galilee to Jerusalem. But the narrative says he was going up. And anytime Jesus is going to Jerusalem, he's going up. Because Jerusalem is on a slope. It's on a hill. So he was going up on this slope. He was attending a feast. John didn't say which feast it was. Many speculate. But he was attending a feast. It, I doubt it was the Passover because Jesus had earlier attended, attended the Passover. That's where Nicodemus saw him 
um, around the time of Canaan of Galilee. Jerusalem, there was a pool by the sheep market. The better word really is the sheep gate. And some of the translations may have sheep gate. It was where sheep entered into the city to be sacrificed. That was where the sheep were brought through. What a great lesson this is. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He was led to his shearers. And here he comes in as the Lamb of God in obedience to the law to celebrate this feast. No one sees it. No one knew him. It is terrible. And you know churches today have become like this. People traverse the church pews and they leave never ever getting a glimpse of Jesus. The Lord Jesus here is not only the gate, the sheep gate, by which all men must enter if they are to be saved. He's the lamb that would be led to the slaughter. And already we are seeing the picture. This gate is called Bethesda. The house of mercy is Bethesda. I believe John makes note of these facts deliberately. Verse 3 and 4 describes the helpless condition of those who had gathered by the house of mercy. And by the way, brethren, this church is the house of mercy. You know how I know that? The gospel is here. You can, you can go up and down Flatbush and hear people screaming to the top of their voices. All they have to offer you are drums and shouting. We look at that tonight. It says in the text, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then who ever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had? I read this from the New King James. There's a famous saying that you have heard so many people say, secular people, God help those who help themselves. This is not only false, don't say that rubbish. It is not true, but it is also unscriptural. God help those who cannot help themselves. If people could help themselves spiritually, they don't need God. And you see it with some people. You just give some people a job. And you don't see them anymore. The job takes precedence over God. People feel they can help themselves. But the only place you can help yourself to go is hell. Because we are candidates by nature of hell. Don't believe that. They that are whole do not need a physician. The Bible says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5 verse 6. How can we help ourselves? John chapter 5, 3 and 4 is meant to show the helpless condition of people from all walks of life. The late theologian, pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church, Philadelphia, James Montgomery Boys, I know that church, said on this John 5 text, and I quote, it is a pitiful picture as John relays it, 
but it is far more pitiful when we realize that he is including the description to, to dramatize the helpless and woeful, hopeless condition of the human race. Dr. Boyce has it correctly. This is his take on those two verses I've just read. Man in his depraved state will not seek spiritual help. Here in our context, Jesus was on the scene at this feast and no one took interest in him. We read that prophecy this morning from Isaiah 35. 700 years before Christ came, they tell us what he would do. Then shall the lamb leap for joy and the tongue of the dumb sing. You would think people would be looking for that kind of a savior. They were not helpless. As Jesus came, no one took note of him. The pool was the main attraction because it offered a mysterious healing to the first one on board. Can you imagine the percentage of this man getting healed? I don't know how many there were. We didn't stand a chance. Like people going out buying a lot of tickets. They don't stand a chance, but yet they're slaves to the lot of tickets, day after day, they're hoping some mysterious thing happened. At the end of the day, when you conk up, thousands of dollars are lost. Materialistic men. I said that this word Bethesda means house of mercy and it's very interesting because it really represents God's house. It really represents, and God insert this deliberately to show us the church. And where multitudes gather in the church looking for the wrong things, not looking for the lamb. Could this be some of you this morning? Could this be some of you? Quite often people only consider mercy in a material way. Verse 5 says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Now some Bible commentators want to make a link of this man's 38 years of infirmity with Israel's wilderness wandering for 38 years. But I am not sure about this. I don't know if I can make that application. But I have read it. But I'm not interested in it. What I am sure about is that this multitude are likened to the human race that are under judgment. The 38 years of wandering was a period of judgment. God was judging his people for unbelief. And this ought to be considered, this man's wandering. The human race is under divine judgment. And it is a terrible place to be. But there was one in this multitude that captured the attention of the sovereign creator he came there with the intended purpose to minister to one. You see, God is not obligated to take note of any one of us. But yet in his mercy, in his mercy, he saves that the uttermost his people. Don't ever think that God is obligated to look at you and me in our misery. We offended God. We offended him. And this gospel that is way thrown around, God loved you and so do I. 
just soothing people. It's not saving them. Which brings me to our second head. Power of the spoken word, 6 through 8. Power of the spoken word, verse 6. And Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that, in that condition a long time. He said unto him, do you want to be made well? Now these words show the Lord's great omnipotence, don't they? He knew this man was there 38 years. He's working out his plan for his glory. He sees all men, the John 2 tells that. And he sees all men in the same state. He knew all the rest were there too. Not one is above the other. We may be different on the social ladder. We, must, we might be different on the ethnic train or on the religious bandwagon, but we are all the same in spiritual rank. Sick, paralyzed, disease. Think of those words. But the Lord Jesus sees some men in a redemptive way where they are spiritually helpless. You remember when Jesus called Nathaniel? Nathaniel was blown away by the omnipotence of Jesus. Jesus, in John 1, 47 and 48, saw Nathaniel coming to him and said unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in him is no deceit. How did he get like that? The Lord had worked in his heart. Tanya said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when you was under the fig tree, I saw you. You think it is that day when you prayed or asked that, that, that you were saved? Remember this. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I came for you. Omnipotence. Yes, the Lord sees his people. And we should, we should be thankful that the Lord sees his people. And I must emphasize his people in a redemptive way. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But be careful what Jesus you are throwing around there, the people. And what about the graphic image that God gave by the prophet Ezekiel? I quoted it last week out of my head, but I have it now that I can say correctly. God was speaking of Abraham, and he said, of Israel. He said, and when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. He's been a picture of redemption and salvation in Ezekiel 16, verse 6. The Lord Jesus sees his people with eyes of pity. He calls us to himself through the word, the power of the word, and you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walk according to the course of this world, according to the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Look around you. I don't know how worse people can behave. I Every summer I wish I was in a cage somewhere. Women don't have any discretion. And please, don't be a woman or a lady that don't have any discretion in what you dress and what you look like. 
Men have a hard time already controlling their minds without looking at you. The Lord of glory communicated with the helpless man with words. He said to him, do you want to be made well? Jesus in John, John's gospel, chapter six said, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Remember the words that Christ speak are spiritual words. Verse seven, the impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled. Still don't know who Jesus is. At least he got some respect. To put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another step of down before me. Again, brethren, we must admit this is a picture of fallen man. This is a picture of you, and this is a picture of me. Movie stars, athletic icons, Icons in this world pat themselves on the back because they think they are basically good. And some of you think so too. They can raise a few million dollars to feed the poor in Africa. But this is the common grace and kindness God allows and extends. Mankind still have to some degree an element of kindness. But spiritually, mankind is spiritually depraved. You see it here in this picture. When it comes to helping his fellow man spiritually, he does not care for his fellow man. He's supposed to be his brother's keeper. This crippled man spoke a natural truth. But he spoke a deep spiritual truth. He said when Jesus asked him, do you want to make, do you want to be made well? He said, I have no man to help. And you should consider this. Your peers at school doesn't care for you. Even some of your peers in church doesn't care for you. Man cannot help. Our colleagues are not interested in salvation. Your neighbor, your family member. You should take verse 7 to heart. I have no man. We are reminded of this great messianic psalm where the psalmist said, Reproach have broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. I look for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Christ suffered alone. For sinners, he's the only one that can help us. You think if... This idea of people helping Jesus in salvation. God did his part and I did mine. You need to consider Psalm 69. He looked for someone to help and found none. For comforters, found none. John 5 continues, verse 8 and 9. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now Jesus commanded this man. This is a command. Take up your bed and walk. Look at the picture carefully. The man is crippled. He was there for 38 years. And here comes this rabbi. Take up your bed and walk. The Bible says that immediately he was made whole. 
This is a reflection of the power of the spoken word. Instantaneously, the lame man responded to the command that the Lord gave. It is to show the power of the spoken word. The God that said, let there be light. And there was light. Along with the command, obviously, Jesus qualified this man to obey. It is God that works in us to do of his good pleasure. I hate to hear people say they can't do this, they can't do that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I'm not saying that you can lift up a 500-pound refrigerator. Like my mom said when I tell her, I'm not helping you lift no refrigerator. I'm going to hurt my back. She said, don't worry about it. I can do all things through Christ. That is misappropriated. I said, well, go ahead and break your back. <laughs> yeah, that was true. Marcel was right there. You see, people can misquote and misapply the scriptures. Now, that's not what it means. I can do all things that God commands me to do through Christ who strengthens me, brother. He can help you. He can strengthen you. He can strengthen me in my weakness. Like this man, he qualified him to obey. Along with the command, the word translated whole, he was made whole. In verse 9 is the word sound. The crippled man was made sound. The apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto them that believe. Only to them that believe, you know. You and I have no cause to brag or to take credit. It's the power of the spoken word that made the difference in a Christian's life. The unconverted person, the unsaved, the same words has no impact. One move the same way water runs off of the back of a dock. The unsaved. The multitude that was around that pool, the masses, didn't hear anything. They might have heard, didn't move them. Didn't move them. Jesus said, He who hears my words and believes on him that sent me hath everlasting life, present tense, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life, new destiny. John says in verse 9 that the same day the man who was made whole was the Sabbath. And Jesus did that deliberately. He did it deliberately. And he's going to do it again in the next chapter. It's a, it's a deliberate insertion by John the Evangelist. And this brought about antagonism. Verse 10. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. As far as the Jews were concerned, this man could have remained crippled another 38 years. So long as he did not violate their Sabbath. Now religion does not care about conversion. Cults. Brother Bennett was telling me something. You think that them people care about the soul? Of your daughter-in-law? You think so? No! They're concerned about her keeping the Sabbath. They were antagonized. It is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. So long as he did not violate their Sabbath, he could rot by the pool. 
And some, some of us can stretch the Lord's day a little too far. This is terrible hypocrisy. Mercy always triumphs over judgment. The Jews train at a mosquito and swallow a camel. And Christians can be guilty of that too. The Bible says, well, did Isaiah spoke of you. This people honor me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. For in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. We are to be careful not to stretch duty too far and be merciful to people. So we saw man's helpless condition. Second, we saw the power of the spoken word. We turn attention to our final observation, proofs. Proofs of conversion. Uh, I wouldn't be able to cover everything, but I would just highlight. Verse 10 and 11 says, and the proofs of conversion is seen from verses 10 through 15. Standing 11 says, the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, this is Sabbath day. It's not lawful for you to carry your bag. He answered them. He that made me whole, the same said to me, take up thy bag and walk. Now there, there were some obvious changes that took place in this one crippled man that he did not have before. First, he took up his bed, and this required physical strength. He did not require a physiotherapist to carry his bed. And some of us, our brother Charlie, I know I can call your name, uh, it takes a long time, very long time for, 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 for physical therapy before a man can walk if he was crippled for 38 years. I remember when I had some surgery some time ago, I thought it was a piece of cake. It took me like two to three weeks before I could walk. Marcelle, going to park, she was miles ahead of me, and I was behind her like, it's humbling. Just a little minor stuff, you know. But this man instantly took up his bag. God gave him strength. And some of you talking about you can't do this and you can't do that, you can't. You can't come to church on time. Where do you get that from? I'm showing you proofs of conversion. Deliberately. Second, he walked. To walk in biblical language means to live an obedient life. And I think we heard this this morning. And Christ give his people strength to walk the straight and narrow. Today the so-called miracle workers cannot cause anyone to walk in faith and obedience. They can't. In natural life, as I was saying, a person who had been laid up for any length of time would spend months or probably years before they can walk. Yet instantly this man walked. In the historical message, this man was physically sound. Verse 13 conveys a great truth about the new birth as I jump down there quickly. But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. It, though he was made whole instantly, he did not fully understood the means by which he was made whole. Indeed, the wind blows where it wills. Can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is he that is born again. I hear people try to articulate 
conversion. That's very dangerous. And just because a person cannot articulate the time and the effect of their self, it doesn't mean they're not saved. Or secondly, just because we can twist our mouth with words and articulate conversion doesn't mean we're saved. Jesus withdrew himself. Didn't want to create a stir with those who hated him. When the new birth takes place, we do not know all of the nuances of eternal life. We cannot dictate to Christ when or where we are to become born from above, as the Lord said to Nicodemus. You see this here in the text. I'm not forcing anything. Wind blows where he listeth, and thou hearest the song thereof, but cannot tell whence it come from whither it goeth. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. In verse 13, the mystery is experienced. Poor man, just know somebody come and says, Take it, you better walk. He took his bed and walk, and the person just went off the scene. It's just like Philip, the evangelist. Baptized the, the, the eunuch. And when the eunuch came out of the water, Philip was gone, out of there. You know why? Because men have a tendency of worshiping men. God took him home. And some of us in our ministry need to get out of the way. In worship, get out of the way. Often said, says less. As you can. I don't want to hear you. Spiritual pride. That's what it is. How much we know. Verse 14. Afterward Jesus findeth him. In the temple. And said unto him. Behold. Thou art made whole. Sin no more. That's the worst thing come unto thee. Now, I, I, I want to just open up this a little before I close. The one scrippled man, this man, he's no longer in the pool, or by the pool, sorry, of Bethesda, with the multitudes. Things change. We, we don't run with the herd children when we are converted. We, we cease to run with them. We, we have new friends. This, this is one moral lesson you can learn. If you are converted and you got the same crowd running with, you better check to see if you're converted. Because two cannot walk unless they agree. And it's a terrible thing to be agreeing with the world. And, and these are clear principles. This, 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 you, you, you've heard these many times before. It's just we are not seeing them. We are not seeing them in the lives of most of God's people. We, we are redundant. We are repeating ourselves because we are not seeing these things. And that's why I have taken time to show you these conversions. I know them already. Well, you need to know these things. He's no longer by the pool with his bed, with the multitude. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many are on that way, but straight is the way that leads to life. And few will find it. He's in the temple where Jesus met him. The two great lessons to consider under this third head. Let me ask you, where does the Lord meet you or find you on the day of worship? Where are your children on the day of worship? Are they with you? Or are they with somebody else? Fathers?
Where does he find us on the day of worship? The man carried his bed on the Sabbath. Yeah, but he was in the temple. Multitudes of professing Christians are nowhere to be found when the church gathers to worship. Multitudes professing Christians, nowhere. Yet they say they're Christians, they're converted. You need to bring these things to bear on the conscience of your loved ones. You're not mean, you're faithful. There's one application relative to our message, but there's a spiritual application here that I don't want to overlook. When a person becomes converted to Christ through faith and obedience, they're placed upon Christ's spiritual temple. They become part of that structure. We all know this. And we like this part, but we don't like the practical part. This is taught in the Bible. We have become part of the Lord's spiritual house. You are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. This is talking about the word. Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner. These elements represent the word, the Bible. That we are built, our lives are built upon. Whom the whole bit building fitly framed together, fitly framed together. God fits it. He has his own spirit level and his chisel. He fits it. And some of us don't like the chisel. Build it onto a holy temple in whom also are built together for a habitation of God. God indwells us, the believer. These are some changes. These are some proofs. Holy Spirit leads us, guides us into truth. Peter says that Christians are living stones that are built upon a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Praise, gifts, obedience. Those are the proofs of salvation. This man was cured physically, yes. The Lord saw a deeper problem and commanded him not to practice sin anymore. He says, don't sin anymore. That's the worst thing happened. And this is in accordance with the, with the epistle of John. 1 John 3 verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doesn't practice sin. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin. Because he's born of God. Let me correct this quickly because some of you might think that I am soliciting sinless perfection. And you will go away saying, you hear what he said? I know some of you smart Alex in this church. You would always go and misquote what I'm saying. The he who cannot sin is not the converted person. All Christians have an old nature. The he who cannot sin is the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. He cannot sin. Or oh, anytime you sin, you can't blame God. You gotta blame yourself. He is the one that cannot sin. He's perfect. He would never lead a Christian to sin. That's what it means. John 5, 15 and 16. Our last reference. Man departed and told the Jews 
that it was Jesus which made him whole. It was Jesus he identified the Savior. Therefore, did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. There, there will be repercussions for the Christian. There will always be repercussions among your peers. There must be repercussions. There are two kingdoms. Don't expect them to love you. Or even sometimes your family. Don't expect them to love you. They call me, Marcel, oh, I hear you're married and a preacher, a holy man. Think that I was going to straight jacket my wife into rules and regulations. Family! You would have thought that they would have been happy that they're not getting a dud. Oh, he's going to straight jacket you into a bunch of rules and regulations. That's your family. Nobody in straight jacket ain't nobody. God liberates us from our sin. Oh, they don't mind if you were still crippled. Tell me about it. I know the world. I know my peers. I know my family. This man said it was Jesus that made me whole. You don't have to be a theologian to say this, to say what the Lord did. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to preach a three-point sermon. So, brethren, as we, we close, sort of helpless, help, helpless mankind. We saw the power of the spoken word. Rise, take up your bed and walk. Instantly, the man responded. God granted him the will to do his good pleasure. We saw the proofs of biblical conversion. Now in all three of our studies so far, I said there is a consistent pattern in the lives of converted people. One, the spoken word by Christ to those people. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word. They all heard. The woman at the well heard the word. Nicodemus heard the exegesis of the word. Here, this crippled man heard the word. He heard the incarnate word. Jesus speaking to him. So, one, the proofs the word to worship of the individual. This man was found with his bed in the temple. Wait, what is he going there for? Well, he's only going to the temple for one thing, worship. Three, we see a proclamation of the Savior. It was Jesus. These are the elements of a converted sinner. The scripture says this, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. How is it that in our day we do not see these graces in people that say they're converted? How is it? We should see these truths in the lives of every converted sinner. Go over it again. Read it yourself. Continue to read, and you'll see that what I said to you is true. Let's pray. Amen. Our Father, we give you thanks for the clarity. Brother Depot prayed that the minister would have clarity, and I believe that you answered that prayer. We now pray and ask that the word of God would not only be presented clearly, but it would have an effect on those who hear. And this is what we cannot do 
and therefore we commit the preached word to you and ask that you would work all things according to your will. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen.